Welcome to the Primary Source Podcast. My name is Tom Bober, a school librarian in the suburbs of St. Louis, Missouri. This podcast is here to explore the uses of primary sources in K-12 libraries and classrooms. We'll dig into resources and teaching strategies, talk to educators who are utilizing primary sources, and supporters of educators who curate these incredible items and use them in their work. I am sitting in my dining room recording this episode, and looking out the window, I'm watching snow come off of my neighbor's roof, I'm watching snow falling, I'm looking at temperatures in the single digits, and I know that this is impacting a really big part of the country right now, so I hope that if you're listening right after this is posted that you are staying warm. I really purposefully set up my weekend so that I did not have to leave my house over this uh, extended weekend until Tuesday. And we'll see, maybe, I bet we're going to have in the St. Louis area a few snow days for some schools coming on Tuesday. Mine? I'm not sure. We'll find out. What I wanted to talk to you today is something that has been not only taking up a lot of my time recently, but it's actually taken up a lot of my time the last many, many months, over a year. And that is a book that I just had released from Libraries Unlimited called Building News Literacy, Lessons for Teaching Critical Thinking Skills in Elementary and Middle Schools. And what this book tries to do is make the case for teaching news literacy in our upper elementary and early middle school years. You might be wondering, well, Tom, I know that you wrote this book, as you just told us, but what does this necessarily have to do with primary sources? Actually, the work that my students had done for years with primary source news is one cornerstone in this book coming into being. And so I thought since it was so much on my mind with the book coming out recently that I'd share a little bit of this background, a little bit about where I see news and primary sources overlapping and maybe some places where they don't necessarily overlap and talk through the book just a little bit because it does rely upon primary sources within the lessons that are in the book. So there's certainly a connection there. The first thing that I would love to do, and I know I shared in our first inaugural episode of the podcast, my definition for a primary source. And I think at the time I probably mentioned that I love really simple definitions. I think that for my students at the elementary level, for when I, when I get a chance to work with students at the middle school level, simple definitions really are a great jumping off point because it helps to frame what it is we're actually going to be talking about. If I could, I want to go ahead and share my definition for news. When I talk about news with my students, I talk about news being a broadcast or published report to inform us about recent events. So there's a few things there that you can break apart. This idea that it's broadcast or published, it's not necessarily a note being passed in class or somebody whispering or even talking with someone else about an event, we get a little more structured with that when we talk about news that we're using in a classroom setting. And I know that we could broaden that out, that definition out if we wanted to, but for our purposes, we talk about it being a broadcast or published event. The second part that I think is incredibly important is that it is meant to inform. And when I talk with my students about news, often they will talk about 
other types of information that's out there that is giving us news, is giving us information, but the purpose of it isn't necessarily meant to inform us. I'll have students who are talking about clips that they see from The Daily Show or SNL cold openings, and those certainly have crossover in topic with news that we might see, but they also are not necessarily meant to inform us. They're meant to entertain us, to make us laugh. So news itself has this intention to inform. And then lastly, it is about recent events. So we could have that broadcast or published piece that's talking about something from 100 years ago or 200 years ago, but at the moment that it is published, it is meant to inform us about recent events. This is really an important piece of information to know when we're talking about primary sources too, because one thing that we want students to do when they start to interact with the primary source is to source it, is to identify it. And so if students identify a historical item as news, whether it is a news clip from a couple of decades ago or a newspaper article from a century ago, that idea of knowing what news is, knowing that it's meant to inform, knowing that it's broadcast or published, knowing that when it was put out into the world that it was referring to a recent event, that's important for sourcing purposes from a historical standpoint. So that definition of news is something that we've been able to use not only when we're talking about news literacy, but also when we're talking about historical thinking. That definition comes in handy in both of those situations. Now, I will often use the term historical news with my students as well. And that is just a differentiation for us to know that the news that we're working with is not news from today or news from this past week. We're talking about news from the past. Again, it still fits that definition, though, that when it was published or broadcast, that what it was reporting on were recent events. So historical news for us is a term that we will use at the upper elementary or middle school levels as well. Now, I've already made the case in the first episode about news being used as a primary source, and I know that not everyone agrees with that. It is something that I wholeheartedly agree in, though. And again, I, even my, my interview with Kirsten Larson in the last episode, one of the primary sources that she used quite a bit in her book, Woodwire Wings, were news articles. That was where she was able to find information about Lillian Todd and the airplane that she built. I know that some people might want to make the argument that news articles do contain primary sources, and that's technically where we get that information. But to split hairs like that, for me, becomes confusing to students. And again, I think that the examples that are out there when we talk to researchers who are writing historically based literature, when we talk to historians themselves, when we look at institutions that are promoting the use of historical documents as primary sources for learning, newspapers play a part. And newspaper articles, newspaper reports, newspaper, or I'm sorry, news broadcasts, all of those play a role. And so news as a primary source, I would argue, always fits under that umbrella. News always would be a primary source. 
I do want to differentiate, though, that not all primary sources would be considered news. They may be contained within the news, but they wouldn't be considered news. So examples of that might be where we see kind of this crossover and things get a little hazy is if we have raw video of an event that ends up being used within a news broadcast, raw interviews that are used as part of a news broadcast, photos that might be used either in a news broadcast or a publication, um, quotes that are used, extended quotes that are used in some type of a news publication. All of these could be examples of primary sources of a topic, an event, or an individual, but they wouldn't themselves as a standalone, be considered news. And I think that becomes important when we start to take that idea of primary sources, which often, when we're talking about it as a class, are talking about historical items, and we, we push that idea of primary sources to the present day. Because, of course, primary sources are being created and shared all the time. If we have, for example, a photograph or a video of a car accident that would be caused by the snowstorm that's going on outside my house right now, if I shared that out, that wouldn't necessarily be considered news. It would be considered a primary source, that raw video, and quite possibly that raw video, if shared in the right context, could be picked up by a news producer that then would incorporate it into the reporting of this particular snowstorm. And then that news report itself, I would also consider a primary source with the primary source of the video or photo I just mentioned embedded within it. So all news, in my mind, we would consider primary sources, but not all primary sources would be considered news. And I think this idea of pushing primary sources to today is really what got me thinking around the ideas of news literacy and how news literacy and looking at historical news should be looked at possibly, but often hasn't been looked at. I was seeing a great disconnect with my students. They would do this incredible work analyzing historical news and creating meaning from historical news, looking at it carefully. And then when it came to the news of the day, when I would overhear them talking about news that they interacted with, and that could be from a family member or a friend, could be something they listened to on the way to school or watched the evening before. For some of our students, we might also be talking about students with phones where the news is getting pushed out to them. Those interactions were so much less involved and so much less purposeful that their understanding of the current news seemed to be scarce at best and often there was some misinformation that they had. They had misconstrued the news. They hadn't looked at it as carefully as we were looking at some of the historical news that we were talking about. And so that caused me to take a step back and start to think about how we look at the news when we're talking about those historical events and what does that mean for how we look at the news in 2021? How do those two things connect? Or at least how should they connect, especially when we're talking about 
elementary and middle school students who in some ways are in this transition of how they receive news. Because the other thing I was seeing, as I just mentioned, was this transition from getting most, if not all, of their news in some ways through a trusted adult, maybe it's through a teacher, through a parent, through someone else in their life, sometimes through friends as well. And then there was this transition as students start to get phones in their hands. And as I mentioned, sometimes this is at the elementary level. More often for students around my district, it's at the middle school level. But suddenly how students were receiving the news was changing. It was all of a sudden being pushed to them from this unknown source for many of them, to be quite honest with you. If I would ask them, as I did with some of my students, where did you hear this from? I had so many students give me some variation of, it was on my phone, not really understanding where it was actually coming from. So that's where the idea for the book or the seed of the book was was kind of laid at that time. And we take a look at essentially four different areas when we went in this book, when I write about news literacy, there are there's several chapters of introduction, but then there's 21 different lessons. And essentially, The first thing that I'm promoting is the idea of describing the news, looking at facts and opinions, looking at what is news and what isn't news, differentiating between news and news commentary, looking at ideas around reliable sources and credible information. All of that is, in my mind, a way to describe the news that we're initially taking a look at in whatever format we're looking at. And then we look at news analysis strategies. And this is the thing that we were doing, I think, so well from a historical standpoint that then students were not necessarily transferring into analysis of current news that they were looking at. So what are some ways that they can do that? And some of those are borrowing from how we analyze as historians. What are some historical thinking skills? But what are some other ways that we can do that as well? Those are laid out within the the next several lessons. And then how do we interact with the news? And this, again, came partially from what I was seeing students do historically, what seemed to help them gather information around a historical topic through the news, and what I saw missing or in some ways broken with how they interacted with news currently. So that could mean students reading across headlines. It could mean curating sources and expanding beyond an initial view, looking at specific primary sources embedded within the news, following a news story over time to see how it evolves. All of these ideas of how we interact with the news once we do that initial analysis. And then lastly, the, the final set of lessons look at how we and others are news consumers and how we interact with each other. A lot of this came from students who were starting to get on social media and starting to see news shared with them in that way or starting to share news and how that impacted the news that they looked at. So looking at ideas around opinion and being aware of our own biases, looking at relationships with news sources that we have, and being able to identify news sources that are out there. What does it mean to be a news source? How do we interact with emotionally charged news topics? There certainly can be many of those in the news, and our students see those. And then 
considering others, how are other people going to read this? How can we predict what their viewpoints are going to be and how they might react, not only to the news, but what we might have to say about the news? I think all these things end up being really important for students to build foundational news literacy skills. There are some wonderful books also out in the world that I love that talk about uh, fake news and misinformation and disinformation shared directly within the news. I think those are all critically important. I do though think that if we don't build a solid foundation around news literacy itself before diving right in to fake news, that we might be putting some of that work we want students to do, some of those skills we want students to have on a little bit of shaky ground. So what I do in this book, and I wanna get back to the primary source aspect of this, is we look at all of those 21 lessons through a historical lens. We deal with historical news and historical events in all of those 21 lessons. And then, I give some very specific suggestions on if you were to then talk about news of today, how would you adapt this lesson? How would you modify it to make sure that you're dealing with not only news of the day, but with how students are interacting with news of the day? And I wanted to share some of the topics that I hit upon as far as news events when we look at these lessons dealing with historical news events. So we have a lesson dealing with the 1859 incident at Harper's Ferry. We have a, a event that looks at news around Civil War ballooning, the Alaska gold rush of the 1890s. Look at some things that can be brought in at some fun times like Halloween pranks in the early 20th century. Looking at more serious events like the 1912 sinking of the Titanic. Looking at specific events within women's suffrage. The 1917 sinking of the Algonquin. A letter from a World War I soldier that then was published in a local newspaper, one of my favorite lessons and one of my, I think, best finds over the years was this particular letter that was published. Mass unemployment in the 1930s. The Dust Bowls also going on in the 1930s. 1941 attack on Pearl Harbor. 1956 Jim Crow bus boycott. 1963 Birmingham campaign. 1979 gasoline shortages. 1989 recycling efforts in Seattle. 1995 early look at the World Wide Web. This book is packed not only with what I feel are really important news literacy skills that we want students to have, but it also gives us the opportunity of making some decisions about when we either teach or reinforce these news literacy skills. Because what we're able to do here is we can take one of these lessons and we can say, I have some dedicated time around news literacy. I'm going to teach this news literacy skill with current news, news of the day. And it has ideas and suggestions on exactly how to do that. But what we also can do is we can take historical news in a social studies class or a history class, and we can take a topic that we may be working on at the moment, but teach it while also teaching news literacy skills. And so we can encourage our students to see this connection between news of the past and news today and how the diligent work students do with analyzing news of the past can be and should be similar to the work that they're doing 
when they're interacting with news from the present, when they pick up that phone, when something catches their eye, especially before they share it out with someone, especially when it's something that's important to them, that type of due diligence should be done utilizing news literacy skills in similar ways that we can utilize historical news in a social studies or history classroom. I think it potentially gives some crossover and collaborative items that, of course, school librarians can play a role in, but also different teachers might play a role in. I think there might be a role here for collaboration between social studies teachers, history teachers, literacy teachers, all to come in and play a role together in this teaching of news literacy in this way. And so my hope is that this book, Building News Literacy, Lessons for Teaching Critical Thinking Skills in Elementary and Middle Schools, is one that adds to the conversation around news literacy in a positive way. We'll wrap it up there. I want to thank you all for listening today. I want to thank you for sharing this podcast with other educational professionals that you think could benefit from it. I want to thank you for subscribing, and I'll see you next time.